Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. I want to continue in our series today, New Beginnings, and we've been looking at this thought that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Now, I've been thinking about this thought for years. It's one of those things that kind of just popped in several years ago. I don't know if I heard somebody speak on it or if I read it somewhere or just if God downloaded it into me. Um, Either way, God downloaded it into me. It's just that revelation that today is the first day of the rest of your life. And, and I absolutely love that thought because especially when I'm, I've been going through a season of having some real challenging things happen in my life. In fact, maybe I'm still in the season. Maybe you're still in the season. And you start thinking about today being the first day of the rest of your life. Literally, you can chart a new course today. You really can. And I want to also remind you that this is designed to be participatory. As I'm talking, you're supposed to be amening me and shouting me back. You're supposed to be really engaged because God wants to say some things to us today. And, and listen, God wants to do a new thing in our life today. So sometimes it's wonderful to think about today being the first day of the rest of your life because we've just had some junk going on and we're ready to be free from some junk. Can I get an amen? But can I tell you, it's also the same issue as dealing with the good things in our life. Because what good things do in our life is cause us to become complacent, where we can just kind of coast in our relationship with God, and we're not, we're not pressing in to really know him. And listen, I'm not talking about through self-effort you doing some stuff. I'm just talking about simply making some choices to really get yourself focused on the things of God. I led prayer at, at church one time, and typically on the, the Tuesday night prayer time, there would be typically anywhere from about 120 to 150 people, which is pretty awesome. 9-11 happened, and we had over about 1,000 people show up for prayer. And the reason is, is because when we get desperate for God, we want to seek God and we want to press into God. Listen, we don't need to have tragedies happen in our life for us to want to press into God, because God wants to do a brand new thing in your life. Listen, as good as some of y'all's lives are right now, and the amazing, you're like, wow, it just feels like all this in heaven too, right? I want you to understand that God wants to do even greater things in your life today. That's why he said this in this verse we've been looking at in Isaiah 43. See, I am doing a new thing. So God's doing a brand new thing. And he goes on, and actually says in the previous verses, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Good, bad, ugly, don't dwell on the past anymore. Don't live your life living in the past. All right, don't be Uncle Rico. You could just go back and do it all over again, right? Y'all remember Napoleon Dynamite, right? Okay, don't be Uncle, don't live in your past anymore. All right, God's got to do, God wants to do some brand new things. Unfortunately, too many people are living in their past. Some people know it. Some people are fully aware they're allowing their behaviors, different things, to dictate their their present circumstances and what they believe about their future, but some people don't know it. Some people don't recognize that things that have hurt them in the past, that wounded them, have caused them to act the way that they're acting now, and so they're guarded against all things intimate. They're guarded against certain things, and God doesn't want us to live in our past. He wants us to learn to live a life of faith. To learn to exercise our faith, to understand that our feelings are wonderful at times, but sometimes they are ugly and they mislead us and they misguide us and they create damage in our life. So live a life of faith by developing your faith. Spend time in the Word of God. Get into the Word. Let the Word of God get into you so you can begin to stand on truth and not feelings. And then exercise your faith. Walk it out. The moment your feelings are yelling really loud, you start yelling louder. 
It's one of the reasons why we believe you've got to be passionate sometimes about the things of God. The devil wants you to be docile. He wants you to come into church and just sit here and be reverent and quiet. And God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to be demonstrative. God wants you to be excited. Listen, we keep turning down the temperature to make it a little chilly in here just so you'll jump around a little bit in worship, just to get warmed up. Just so you'll lean into the message a little bit and have to sit back in the message, lean up a little bit, just to get the blood pumping so you'll stay a little warm. Because God wants us to exercise our faith. Listen, become a follower of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about this thing because a lot of Christians in America today are just fans of Jesus Christ. They like things and they kind of want to pick and choose different things they like about God, but they don't want to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. And listen, being a follower is not about perfection it's about direction. And some of us really have to understand that. We've got to really let that get down in our heart that it's not about being perfect. God does not even expect you to be perfect. You're already perfect, actually, because you're in him, but he doesn't expect all of your behavior to be perfect. What he expects is you just to continue to follow after him because what we have a tendency to want to do is give up. We may not fully give up on being a follower, but we give up surrendering certain areas of our life to him. So we won't do certain things and we won't give up certain things because we think that we're losing something when God's saying, look, you can't give away enough things that I won't pour back into your life. I'm telling you, living for Jesus Christ is the good news. Let me say that again because I don't know if y'all heard me. Living for Jesus Christ is the good news. It is the best thing ever. Listen, if there were not a heaven or hell, I would still live for God just because of the peace in my life, the joy in my life, the way things work in my life because God designed me this way. I want to walk out the way that God's designed me. So live that life of faith. Listen, again, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about learning about him so that you can follow after him. When you begin to know that he's good, you want to follow him. If you don't think that he's good... And you're listening to the accusation of the enemy, like, like the Satan told Adam and Eve, did God really say God's trying to withhold from you? We begin to think that, then we don't want to follow him. But when we understand he's good, we want to follow after him. Listen, how many of you want to see an increase of favor in your life? Let me get you to raise your hand. All right, good. Most of you, some of you aren't sure yet, but listen. To see an increase of favor, here's what we need to do. 2 Peter verse one, or chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Grace and peace, grace, the unmerited favor of God. Peace, he's talking about shalom, the shalom peace of God, be multiplied to you. How does that happen? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I talk about the favor of God all the time, and some of you are going, why is it not happening in my life? It's because some of you don't really believe that God's good. You're really not following after him. And I promise you there's a level of favor in your life, but if you want to see the multiplied favor in your life, you just start following after him. Amen? So it's about walking in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we believe that God has an amazing plan for your life. He's got an amazing vision for your life. That's why we're organizing our church around four things that we've been talking about through this series. I want to say them again one more time. First of all, that you would know God. It all starts with you coming to know God as your Savior and then growing in that knowledge of Him. That you would find freedom. Step two is find freedom. That you would begin to discover your purpose. That you have a purpose today. And that you would learn to make a difference in your life so that you would fulfill the purpose of your life. 
See, there are four, all four of these steps are important because all four of these steps are working together and part of it is about us being a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you're a follower, you're actually a disciple. See, showing up on Sundays is going to help you to learn how to know God better. Because the devil's going to be whispering in your ear all the time. Society is going to be whispering in your ear all the time. And sometimes those are synonymous. How many of you know that? And they're going to be whispering in your ear all the time things about God that aren't true. So you've got to hear what the word of God says so that you know him better. Because that's the thing that's going to empower you to live the victorious life. It doesn't matter what the economy is saying. It doesn't matter what the government's doing. It doesn't matter what's happening at work. I know that God is for me. And if he's for me, who can be against me? Second thing is about being in a small group. It's where we do life together. In fact, look around just for a moment. Look at all these amazing people that are around you. Some of the most amazing people in Amarillo are right here in Amarillo Fellowship. Listen, you get to do life with some of these people. Some of those people get to become your best friends. Listen, and it will help you to discover freedom in your life. A lot of times we don't recognize that we're bound up in some stuff from our past, but when you get in some relationships with some people, God has a way in relationship with people to begin to work some of the bondage out of your life so that you can walk in freedom, so not that you don't just discover that I need freedom, but you can actually walk it out, all right? Then, then you begin to discover your design, that you're one of a kind. God didn't make another one of you. You're, you're one of a kind, and when you begin to understand that, and you give us a year, if you try this for one year, I'm telling you it's going to change your life forever. In fact, that's what I want to ask you today. Make a commitment. One year, I'm going to do all three things and do the fourth thing. I'm going to, I'm going to begin to know God. I'm going to show up on Sundays. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to find freedom. I'm going to go through the growth track. I'm going to discover the purpose that God's created me for. And then I'm going to start making a difference by serving here in the church or serving somewhere else. And I'm telling you, you do that for one year, your life will be changed forever. I guarantee it today. So check it out. See, when those three things are happening, that is when we begin, and when we begin to make a difference, again, that's a part of what a disciple does. It's just the natural byproduct of understanding who you are in Christ. That's why, again, we're encouraging you to be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan, a disciple. See, and again, that's what our growth track is really all about. It's discipleship. But I want you to understand that it's the launching pad of the process of discipleship. It's not an end in of itself. So what that means is you don't go through four weeks and go, okay, I'm a disciple, I've arrived. It's the thing that gets you on the right path of going after the, the body of Christ. See, it is for you to know who we are as a body of Christ here at Amarillo Fellowship. And it's also for you to understand your part in the body of Christ here at Amarillo Fellowship. Because every one of us should be actively serving and a part of the body of Christ. Every one of us should be serving and actively a part of the body of Christ. Every one of us should be serving and actively serving as a part of the body of Christ. Everyone should be serving. I'm going to try to put as many inflections in my voice as I possibly can. Because all of us should be serving. Listen, we all have a different function. We're, God didn't make you know, us in cookie cutters. We're not all the same. You're not exactly like me. I'm not exactly like you. And sometimes we want what somebody else has and they want what we have. But God's made us unique. 
You know, one of the things I talk to you guys all the time is about how big, I always wish my legs were a little bit smaller. In fact, my wife dried these jeans, and man, they are squeezing me a little bit today. Um, But I always wish that my legs were a little smaller. Well, uh, Randall Robinson came up to me in the first service, and he goes, man, I always wish my legs were bigger. Maybe we can get together and work something out and get somewhere in the middle. Because I say that I've got thunder thighs. He says that he's got bird legs, but if we get together, we'll be the Thunderbirds. Right? Okay. But that's not God's plan. For whatever reason, God made me the way that I am, and I have a specific function, and my function's not like yours. All of our functions are different in the body of Christ. In fact, let me show you this in Romans 12. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, we're made up of a lot of different things, and those members do not all have the same function. My hand doesn't function like my foot. The ligaments in my body don't function like my ears. They each have a different, they all, they do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, talking about all of us as the body of Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. So we all have a different function. We all have a different role in all of the functions, all the roles, all the giftings are important. That's why Jesus called us to go and make disciples. See, he didn't just call us to go and make converts to just get people saved so we can kind of show up on Sunday and as a body we just kind of flow in and then we just kind of flow out. He called you and I to be disciples to function inside of a body. So we've got to understand what discipleship means. Well, Jesus, here's Jesus calling us. He says in Matthew 8, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus restored back authority so that we could walk in authority on the earth. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not converts. It's not about you being saved and showing up on Sunday. And okay, that's what God called. God called you to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on saying, baptizing them. I'm messing up my words today. Y'all notice that? Baptizing them. Baptizing. I'm not praying in tongues, by the way. Baptizing them. It goes on to say, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've never been water baptized, it's not just a ceremony. It's a significant experience that God wants you to experience. And teaching them to obey some of the things that I've commanded you. No, everything that I have commanded you. God wants us to understand everything. So again, it's not about just being a fan of Jesus, picking and choosing what we like. It's about being a follower. God, I want it all. I, want it, I know that you're good. I want it all. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, I think there's a couple of challenges that we have in understanding discipleship. We hear that, and maybe based upon the way that you were raised in church or, or just the way your, your perspective is, we all are kind of challenged sometimes with that because sometimes, again, we think it's about the issue of having to be perfect. That if I, if I say, okay, I'll, I'll go all in with God, I'm going to have to be perfect, and I don't want to be a hypocrite because I can't be perfect. Listen, again, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. In fact, if you look at Jesus' first disciples, they were far from perfect. Aren't you thankful, actually, that they were? I mean, that we saw all of the good, the bad, the ugly of their lives. I mean, Peter, the only time he ever got his foot out of his mouth was when he was sticking his other foot in his mouth. 
He was constantly saying things, doing the wrong things, and yet he followed Jesus for three years and was faithful, even never gave up on himself. But even at the end, when Jesus needed him the most, he denied him. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. It's about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Maybe a better way of us understanding it is it's about refocusing to get our eyes on Jesus. Because most of us, we understand, I want to follow Jesus, but we get distracted by things. Things come up and we get off. We need to refocus and get our eyes on Jesus. We've got to get our eyes on the abundant life that he has for us. We've got to understand how good our God is and the amazing things that he wants to do in our lives. And it's about not giving up when you miss. When you mess up, when you miss the mark, when you, when you fail God, don't give up. So it really is about our eyes on Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 12 Verse 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, meaning keeping my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because what he started in you, he will complete in you. You need to understand that you may not be seeing the mighty man or the mighty woman of God that you actually are yet. But what he started in you, he will finish in you. So discipleship is about following after him. The other challenge, I think that we face is that we're unsure what it's actually going to cost us. When we start thinking about that, we start thinking about what the disciples did. They left everything to follow Jesus for three years. And and we think that if we become a a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, that that will mean that we'll have to fill in the blank with your fear. What is it the thing that you're afraid of? That we'll have to quit our job or that we'll have to go into full-time ministry. Or that if we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be like that person that we don't want to be like them. Or we're going to have to give all of our money to the poor. Or we're going to have to serve in that ministry that we absolutely don't want to serve in, but we know because God is just wanting to do something in us that he'll make us do things we don't want to do. Right? We have have these fears related to this. But listen, you've got to remember that God has already hardwired you for a specific function. And if you're a cucumber... He's not going to use you to drive in nails. All right? He's hardwired you. We're all gifted differently, and you're gifted than other people for the role that he's called you to. He's the author, meaning he's the one that designed and created you. God does not make junk. Some of you really need to know that because you've had that spoken over you a lot. God does not make junk. Let me say it one more time. God does not make junk. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made in the image of God. We're all part of the image of what God has. We have part of that inside of us today. He's the author of your faith. He's the finisher of your faith. Meaning he's going to work in you and lead you to, to the completed work that he actually has for you. See, that's why we need to understand from the word of God who our God is and who we are in Christ Jesus. We also need to understand how to walk out God's word, how to walk in the inheritance that we have. That's why a lot of times in our messages, there's a a two-focused challenge of what we're trying to do. We're trying to help you understand how good God is. We're trying to really get you to understand that at a deep revelation of, God, I really believe in you. Listen, what you worry about exposes the idols in your life. When when I'm worried about, God, I don't know if you can do this for me. God, I don't know if this will happen. It's meaning, God, that thing is bigger than you are, God. So we want you to understand how big your God is. We want you to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. But we also want you to understand how to walk in the inheritance that he has for you. 
Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, there's some things in your life that need to change. There are. You, can't, you just can't keep living the same way that you did. But listen, it's not self-effort. It's simply understanding, oh, this is the path of life. I think I'll choose to walk on the path of life that God has for me. I'm already pre-qualified. I just have to walk on the path so that the, the favor of God starts showing up in my life. So there's this dual focus that's going on. So here's the key, I believe, to all of this. And this is actually where I'm beginning my message. All that stuff right there was free. This is actually where I'm beginning my message. It says this. When we understand how perfectly God loves us, when we understand how perfectly the Father loves us, and when we understand the price that Jesus paid for us to be restored to God so all of the blessings and the favor and the inheritance of God can show up in our lives, that is the thing that will cause us to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. See, until you get that settled, living for God is a have to. I have to go to church. Have to be in a small group. Have to go through the growth track. Have to do this. Have to do that. When God's saying, no, 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 you don't have to do any of those things. I'm still going to love you if you don't do those things. But if you want to walk in the fullness of life that I have for you and begin to understand who I am, how loving I am towards you, that I, am, I, am, I have more desire to bless you than you actually have a desire to be blessed. When you begin to understand that, you're like, oh, okay, wait, you're God. Let me follow after you instead of my own way. And you begin to understand what all of that means because you're now understanding the word of God. You're understanding the inheritance. You want to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. Is this making sense today? Are y'all picking up what I'm laying down? Listen to this. In John 3, 16, a verse that we all know, it tells us that God loved each one of us so much that he gave us his son. It was actually his choice. It was his choice to send Jesus to the world to save us. And it was Jesus' mission while he was here on earth for us to understand the love of the Father. He was constantly talking about how much his Father loved us because something powerful happens when you know and believe the Father's love. Because we hear it enough, we can know it. I know God loves us. I know God loves me. But it's actually believing that becomes the challenge. We're faced with a problem, and suddenly we're like, God, I thought you loved me. So it's, something powerful happens when we know and believe the love of the Father. Let me show you this verse in Romans 8. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. Sonship is actually a better word because it means the placing of a son. So you've got to know God didn't give you any spirit of fear today. So he shares this this parable, which is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, in Luke 15 to help us understand the Father's love. And I want want to really unpack this for you today. And I, I want you to understand this parallel between this earthly Father and our heavenly Father. To understand how perfectly and how wonderfully your Father loves you. Luke 15, verse 11, it says this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Notice that it starts out, a certain man had two sons. See, again, in this parable, he's going to liken this earthly father to our heavenly father, again, trying to help us understand what our father is like. So this parable is not about the son or the sons. The prodigal son, we've all read this parable before, and we've always looked at it from the, from the, parab- the, from the focus of the son. But notice it starts out a certain man. The father is the hero, the main character in the story. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. Notice it's to them. 
So he divided it between the younger son who was asking for it and also his older son. Now we have to understand this from Jewish culture. Basically what this son was asking his father, saying, Father, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance now. I want my money now. It's the J.G. Wentworth commercial, right? I want it now, right? That's what he's talking about. So the father is being totally rejected by the son. Y'all see that? He's basically saying, Dad, I don't care if you're alive. I want my money now. So, but the father divides his livelihood anyway. And in Jewish culture, culture, the older son would actually get a double portion. How many of you older sons are thankful for that, right? So the younger son goes to a far-off country, and he wasted his possession on prodigal, wild, or riotous living. He basically partied away all of his inheritance. Now watch this, because he ends up, being poor and destitute without a job. There are no jobs because there's a famine in the land. And the only job that he can find is feeding pigs. Now, for some people, that's kind of farmers. They kind of like that. But for a lot of us, we wouldn't necessarily like that. And for a Jewish boy, they, don't, they definitely do not like feeding pigs. And he's incredibly hungry. All right? How many of you know that food is a big motivator for a lot of us, right? He's incredibly hungry. My wife is really amening me on the front row. In verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself. And here's something I want to encourage you for people in your life that seem to have left the reservation. You know, maybe a a husband, a a wife, a child, a, a friend that we have, they just kind of wig out and start going crazy. Listen, they're not actually being themselves. Somewhere along the way, they've gotten blinded by the scheme of the enemy, and they're not themselves. So when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now I want you to notice something about this. Do you see in the son at all a heart that I feel bad about hurting my father's feelings? No, he is not motivated by the the way that he treated his father. He is motivated by his hunger, which honestly gives us great hope because how many of you recognize a lot of times you're motivated for wrong things that you want God to do in your life? All right? Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And said, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he does not get a chance to finish his speech because he didn't get a chance to say, make me like one of your hired servants. Why did the son want to be like a hired servant? Because listen, as a hired servant, it would have meant that he could have come back and earned his way back into his father's graces and favor. But you've got to understand something about God. God will never, ever, ever let you earn his love, his goodness, his blessings, his favor, his peace, his health, his joy. Listen, for those of you that are hardwired by following the rules, that's hard for you. Because you want to earn it. You want to, okay, look, I've done this, God. Here's what you need to do. He'll never let you do it because it's always based upon his grace and mercy. So even when we're at our best, we still get his grace and mercy. When we're at his, our worst, we still get his grace and mercy. The father doesn't even give him a chance to say, let me be a hired servant. And the father interrupts him and says, bring out the best robe. Notice it's not just a robe. 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Listen, it's one of the reasons why at the end of our service when people come to Christ, whether it's for the first time or rededicating their life, many of us clap and we start cheering because we are rejoicing that lost people are found. Hey, just so you know, it's what we're in the business for. Can I say it again? It's what we're in the business for. This is what we do. What we do is so that lost people can come to know Christ. So they made Mary. Listen, the story isn't over. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard music and dancing. Does that remind you of what was happening earlier in our service? That's why we call this service a celebration service. It's why there's music and dancing. Because we're celebrating the goodness of God. When I'm singing those songs, they're not just like pop songs, like Taylor Swift's song or something like that. They're talking about the goodness of God. They're talking about the amazing thing that God's done, that mountains are going to be cast down, that God's for me. And when I begin to sing those things, it can't, I can't help but begin to it well up inside of me, and I have to jump around and dance. And again, we keep the temperature a little cooler, so you'll have to do it too. There's music and dancing in the Father's house. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things, talking about music and dancing, meant. And listen, I would submit to you that if you don't understand Christianity as a celebration, you don't really understand Christianity. If the good news is bad news for you, you don't really understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and all the amazing things that you get to walk in. That your life is designed to make a difference in the lives of so many people. That you can find the fulfillment that that part of your life that's been missing, you can find the fulfillment in just walking in all the good things that God has for you. I would submit you either don't understand Christianity or you're wired like the older son. I'm going to talk about him in just a bit. Verse 27, it says, and he said to him, the servant said to him, your brother is coming because he has received, his dad had received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, but he, talking about the older brother, was angry and would not go in. I want you to notice that this is the first time in the parable that someone is angry. The father had every right to be angry. When the, when the son said, I want my inheritance now, when the son came back, the father had every right to be angry because he was being rejected by his younger son. And, and his younger son had squandered all of his wealth, and yet he wasn't angry. This is the first time. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is what the younger son was wanting to do. He wanted to come home because he felt like he was no longer worthy to be a son. He wanted to say, hey, just make me a hired servant. The father wouldn't let him finish because both of these sons kept trying to earn something that the father had already lavished upon them. But better yet for us is why do we keep trying to earn something that our Heavenly Father has already lavished upon us? See, why do we keep trying to perform in order to earn all the promises our Heavenly Father has freely given to us? Or better yet, why do we even continue to believe that our behaviors have disqualified us? When honestly, our behaviors never qualified us in the first place. See, we think this parable is about the story of the wayward son and about how terrible it is to leave. It's not. It's about the extravagant love of the father. 
The, the same extravagant love that this earthly father had for these two boys, our heavenly father has infinitely more towards you and I. So the older son continues his diatribe, his complaining. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Probably not true, right? And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my father. No, with my friends. Notice that it's not about his father. It's about his friends. And I bring this up for us to recognize that even the older son, his heart wasn't with the father either. Verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, notice that he doesn't say that my brother came. I think as parents, we understand this, right? When our children aren't doing something right, it's very easy for us to say, hey, your son is messing up. And they suddenly became your child, right? But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Watch the father's response. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. Catch this line. And all that I have is yours. I hope you're beginning to catch just a glimpse of how perfectly your father loves you. All that I have is yours. Look, what he was saying to the sons, look, you can have more than a goat. You, you could have had more than a fatted calf. Listen, you could have had several fatted calves because all that I have is yours. Listen, if you wanted to have a party, you wanted to have some fun, you wanted to enjoy your life, listen, all that I have is yours. And God keeps saying that to us, all that I have is yours, and we keep thinking, what, you did this for them, you gave them a goat, God, why don't you do something for me? And God's saying, all that I have is yours. Can you just believe that that's true? Can you receive it for your life? He goes on to say, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. That's why we rejoice in the presence of God. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see how loving this, this father was? That even though he was rejected by his younger son and the older son didn't really understand all that had already been provided for him, his heart was still full of love. This is how loving and good our heavenly father is. Man, what I prayed last night as I was preparing this message today is that, man, the veil over your heart about this would begin to be peeled back. And that you would begin to understand how loving your heavenly father is. Listen, because when we understand that, why wouldn't we want to follow after him? Why wouldn't we want to become a disciple? We, we don't have to go out in society and hang our head in shame that, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. It's meant, yes, I'm a follower of Christ because it's amazing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, when we start walking in the revelation of God's perfect love for us, we're going to stop trying to fit God into our plans, and we're going to figure out how to follow after him. We're not going to just like him. We're going to be a follower of him. Listen, I know there are things that happen in our life that are really challenges to the revelation of how perfectly God loves us. But listen, how we respond in our heart to the things that we don't understand that really is the key because there are times when I have some difficulty but I understand what's happening. But there are times when I'm going through a difficulty that I don't understand what's happening. And it's, it's the response of our heart about things that we don't understand that is the greatest revelation of how well I really understand the love of the Father. When I don't understand and I say, God, I love you. God, I know that you love me. I know that you've got a great plan for our life. 
Listen, in the storms of your life, are you believing the circumstances and the situation of your life? And are you allowing that to define and determine God's love for you? Or in the midst of the storm, are you able to remain steady and steadfast and just rest in the arms of your Father? Here's the point of the whole message. I'm going to close with this today. If you ever get a revelation of how perfectly your Father loves you, if you ever get a revelation of all that Jesus died to provide for you, and let me remind you, today is the first day of the rest of your life. So no matter how you've thought or believed in the past, you can make a choice to say, I'm charting a new course today. If you ever get a revelation of that, you will want to follow him. And you will do everything that you can to find out what you can do to follow him. So I want to say this, whether you're the wayward son, and you go, man, that's the one I identify with. I seem to always be losing my way. Or you're the older son who knows all the rules, and you think because you followed the rules, God owes you something. Whether you're that or not, all you have to do is open up your heart today to receive God's love for you, and then allow his love to cause you and to allow you to fall in love with Jesus. See, it's not about our love for him. It's about his love for us. When you understand his love for us, it causes us to love him and to love others. Here's the scriptural proof. 1 John 4 says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the appeasement, paying the penalty for our sins. And in verse 19 it says, We love him because he first loved us. See, the only way that you'll really ever want to become a true follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ is when you get a revelation of how perfectly God loves you today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you just to bow your This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.